welcome to Footnotes and Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and I'm so excited to share this with you to finally get this podcast going. It's taken me a while to figure everything out. I'm not very good at technology, but I'm really passionate about what I want to bring to you, and that has made it all worth it. Um, I am just a stay-at-home mom. I homeschool my kids. I do a lot of cross-stitch. I like to cook a good roast on a Sunday afternoon. There's nothing inherently special about me, except that Jesus Christ is my one Lord and Savior. I believe that He saved my life and that He can save yours too. And it's taken me a long time to get to that place. Even though I grew up in church, I didn't own it for a long time. Life was hard. And when it got even harder, that God that I knew just didn't stand up to what I was dealing with. Even though I was in church all the time and I knew all the liturgy and I could say all the right prayers and sing all the right hymns, when my parents got divorced, I was lost. When my sister went through crisis, I didn't know what to do with that. Mostly, I just got really angry. And then when I had my own kids, it got even more complicated. (laughs) Mostly, I think it was that the God that I knew didn't stand up to life. And that's because I didn't actually know God very well. I could tell you where all the different stories from VBS and VeggieTales are in the Bible, and that was a good start, but it wasn't solid enough. It wasn't complete. And so later on, when a woman in our church in Dallas decided to teach everyone how to read the Bible, it was life-changing. I didn't even know that I needed permission to read the Bible on my own. I always thought you needed theologians or devotionals or definitely someone smarter than me I mean, the Bible's complicated. It comes in all different forms of liturgy and and different like historical books and prophecy. And a lot of it's in poetry. And don't even get me started on the parables. And so how could I read it on my own? And then she told us, you have the Holy Spirit. If you follow Jesus Christ, you have the spirit within you that has created these words and preserved them for all time. And he will guide you. It was so eye-opening and so simple, right? Like we probably already knew that, but to have somebody tell us that was life-changing. And so when I started to really read the Bible, I finally started to see myself in the Bible because most of the sermons and most of the things that have been presented to me were about the great men of the Bible, Moses and Aaron. And I just had a hard time relating sometimes. But as I started to just read the Bible, just see what it has to say, then I met some amazing women like Rahab and Mary and Phoebe. And then I started to see that I had a place in that Bible too. And I didn't even know that I had been feeling like that. I think there's a lot of that whenever we want to be good Christians and we want to love Jesus well, but we don't actually know it's standing in the way. So I encourage you. Come with me on this journey, spend some time together, and let's learn how to read our Bible. I think devotionals have a place, absolutely, and there is nothing more important than being involved in your local church. Your local pastor has wisdom, and that is a treasure. But there's also something about reading the Bible for yourself and having that one-on-one time. That's what making a relationship with Jesus is. I have been married to my husband for 12 years now. I absolutely adore him. We've been together almost 20 years. But if I only spoke to him once a week, that would not be a very good marriage. 
if he only asked me about my day, but I never asked him about his, we wouldn't have a very good marriage. It takes communication, a two-way street, and Jesus is probably trying to talk to you. (laughs) I realized that the hard way. He's been trying to talk to me for a long time. I just really didn't know how to listen. When you sit down with your Bible, whenever you read the scriptures and pray, then you invite God into that relationship and it becomes a two-way street. You can face those really difficult things and say, God, I don't like that. Or those really hard things that say, God, I don't know what to do with this. But then you get to ask him, show me what I'm supposed to do with this. So when you read the Bible for yourselves, and then you get notes and observations, and you let it simmer and meditate in the back of your mind while you go about your day, you live life with him. And then you take that to your small groups or maybe your Bible study class on Sundays. And then you have a discussion and God breathes life into those words and shows you things. And it is life changing. I think when you start to see Jesus Christ rightly, you will not be able to help but be a witness for him. Because as you see Jesus more rightly, you see him and his character and you're able to see him in your own life easier. Sometimes it can be really difficult, especially if you've been sinned against, if you had traumatic things happen to you, to see where God is in those moments. But we can look through the stories throughout the Bible and see how God has already behaved time after time, get to know his character, and that helps him show himself to us and, and see his character truly in our own stories. The first time I was asked to give my testimony It was a doozy. (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing. What does that mean? Tell your story? I don't know. Okay, so I basically showed up and said, you know, I was a bad teenager and I was promiscuous and I skipped school and I'm trying to do right. And, you know, I've got this little baby boy now and I'm married. He's a good guy. And I think I think that's good. But, you know, I've had some traumatic things happen to me. While I was talking, this girl across the room clocked me. She looked dead at me. I knew that there was something that she needed to say to me. And I knew her story. She had already told it to us. And this woman had suffered unspeakable horrors at the hands of close family members and their friends. I knew that her story was painful and one of those injustices that we cry out to because it we just can't imagine the world being good whenever something like that happens. So she came to me and she told me, hey, I think your story is not what you think it is. I think you need to go get some help. I think you need to talk to somebody about it. I should have been grateful, right? I wasn't. (laughs) I was so angry. I had no idea how thick the walls of pride and protection were that I had built up over the years around my story. And I was like, how dare you? Absolutely not. It wasn't until a year later, I got pregnant with my daughter and I became horribly depressed. I loved having kids. I loved being pregnant. I loved my son with all of my waking being. I was so excited to become a mother and I had no idea that that was going to happen. But when I got pregnant again, I knew it was a little girl. I realized that the only future I could see for this little girl was rape and death. And that's when I realized that my friend that year ago, telling me that my story was not what I thought it was, was right. She was brave enough to tell me that I needed help. And that is the power in telling your witness. That's the power in telling your testimony. 
I think by all accounts, she could have looked at me and heard my story and say, sure, it's not as bad as what I went through. Good. I'm glad you found a way to deal with it and moved on. But she didn't. She invited herself into that pain so she could walk alongside me. She wanted to help me get better. And I had no idea that that is what I needed. Thankfully, through some really amazing counseling and the redemption of Jesus Christ, I was able to face the things that happened to me. I was able to face the relationship that had destroyed my like sexual identity and have it redeemed through Jesus Christ. And it took months and it was painful and it was awful. And it would take another 10 years after that to get to the place where I could actually tell people about it out loud in a grateful way, in a joyous way and say, look at how good God is. And then it would be two years that I would say, you know what, I'm going to share this on a podcast and let other people know that they're not alone because that was the gift that was given to me. So through this time, I had to see Jesus rightly. I had to be in community with other Christ followers who loved me also and were able to speak truth and love to me. And that is what we so desperately need. We are so pulled apart right now. We have, even if we had good communities, a lot of us lost them through the pandemic or we just changed our lives and didn't go back to them. We need to learn how to tell our witness. We need to see Jesus rightly so we can tell our stories that glorify him. This is what the power of a witness is. And sometimes the Bible can be really difficult. We have to take it all in because that's where we see all of God's character. Some of God's character that helped me understand my story the most is in some of the most difficult parts of the Bible. Take the book of Hosea. My counselor made me read that book whenever I was going through this very traumatic period of counseling. And I was pregnant with my daughter. So, you know, super traumatic on top of that. But she wanted me to see God's character through that. If you've ever read the book of Hosea, there's a lot of, um, you know, whoredom in it and betrayal and affairs. And it can be really awful to read. There's some very difficult things that God says in there. He says, you're not my people. You're, you have no place. But whenever you read it all the way through and every step of the way say, who is Jesus in this? Where is God in this? And what is this telling me about his character? You see that even though his people betrayed him on the utmost level, on the most intimate level, on the most hurtful level, God found a way to save a remnant of his people, that he allowed them to not continue in those injustices, and that he saved a a, a portion, a remnant of his people that would be able to carry on in the covenant that he had already made with them. Hosea can be an amazing chapter to read, but I guarantee you when I had read it 20 years ago, I would not have looked at it that way. It helps so much whenever we can see the book of the Bible for what it is, how it was written, who it was written to, and what those original hearers were supposed to be hearing, and what the original authors were trying to say. Ultimately, the Bible, it's not about us. I know, don't get offended. Don't turn this off. I think this is the most helpful piece of information that you can get whenever you say, okay, I want to read the Bible. 
the Bible's not about you. I know, I'm so sorry. It's so hard to hear that, but it actually really isn't about you. It isn't a guidebook for how to live life. And I think that is what is prescribed to us so often. Like, here, you want to do better? Read this book, and then I'll tell you how to live. Or if you want to be blessed, here, read this book, and I'll tell you what to do. That's not what it is. It's a book about God, about His character. It's the way that we get to know Him and have a relationship with Him. But sometimes we treat it like a magic eight ball, right? We just shake it up. God, am I supposed to take this new job? I don't know. And then just flip the pages open. Oh, great. That's the answer I wanted. Or no, that doesn't make sense. I'll do it again. Shake the Bible up, flip open to a new page. Whenever we treat the Bible like this product, this, you know, single use um, item that we can consume and then discard, it absolutely will fail you. That was the God that failed me whenever my parents got divorced. That was the God who failed me whenever I saw that children died for no reason. That God doesn't stand up to life because it's not true. That single use serving of Jesus and God that you consume and throw away is never going to stand up to real life. And that's probably why you haven't seen him in your own story. But that's not true. That's not the real God. And that's not the way that we can use the Bible to get to know God. I think if you start with that, the book is not about me. Okay, it's about God. So then everything that you read, this was a question that was given to me. And it was very, very challenging, but has been so helpful. If the whole book is about Jesus Christ and his redemption on the cross and our relationship with God, that means that we can find Jesus Christ in every single page. From Genesis to Revelation, we should be able to answer these two questions no matter where we are. Where is Jesus Christ in this? And what does this tell me about God's character? Where do I see Jesus Christ in this passage? And what does this passage have to tell me about the character of God? Those two questions are fundamental to your time in the Word, because that's what the Word is for, is to help you have a relationship with God. The Word, the Bible, is not God. It is not something to worship, and that is not our means of salvation. It is the means to the one who gives us salvation, to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we look for Him in those pages, they're going to come alive. We're going to see more of His character, and then we'll get to know Him more. So then whenever those hard things come up in your own life, you could say like, well, I know that even though the Israelites absolutely abandoned God, he didn't abandon them. So in this moment, when my family has left me or whatever it is, I know that I'm not alone and God has not abandoned me. That's how it translates into our everyday life. So hopefully I have made my case well that you need to read your Bible, look for Jesus Christ to see him in your own story. And hopefully, over however long God deems this podcast to go on, we will get to hear other people's stories. I'll tell you some of my story, and you'll be able to see God's character, not only through the words of the Bible, but through people who have lived it out today. And that relevant story that happened today, because you know these people, these moms, these dads, these people who struggle with addictions or alternate lifestyles or whatever that case may be, it's a struggle and we're in it together. And what we have in common is Jesus Christ and he's definitely worth it. One of the things that I found the most helpful over the last few years was looking at the disciples. 
this totally came out of me uh, feeling ashamed and my pride getting hurt because I didn't know something. So just as you will get to know me, you will know that I really, I'm just a big nerd. I'm not even going to try to sugarcoat it. That's what it is. I'm a big nerd. I love words. I love looking stuff up. I love having the right answer just for myself. I don't need to be able to say the right answer in a group of people, but I'd like to know that I know what I'm talking about. So there's definitely some pride there. But I was given a passage in the book of John to do a sermon on, and I realized I wasn't quite sure who wrote the book of John. Yeah, I, I my parents were church planners. My mom knows every word of the Bible through and through. How did this knowledge not pass into me through osmosis of her roast? You know, like I was so disappointed. Here's the problem. I had never looked it up for myself. I think it's really hard, especially when you grow up in church, um, to say, I don't know. It's easier um, whenever you've come to uh, the faith later in life. I think you have a, a little bit of a different attitude. When you grow up in church, I think you assume that you're supposed to know everything. And so it's actually really hard. Maybe it's just prideful. I'm not sure. But it's difficult to say, yeah, I don't know. Whenever you sit in Bible study and they start throwing out all these deep theological terms and talking about tulips, and you're like, what is that? So this is my favorite thing about the Bible studies that I do is I never assume that anyone knows what's going on. Even when I say Noah and Moses in names uh, that most everybody knows and that are probably on the nursery walls at your church, I don't assume um, because I can't believe that I didn't know who wrote the book of John. And I'm really glad that I was able to say, yeah, I don't know, but I'm going to go look it up. So I looked it up and it was not written by John the Baptist. It was written by John the Apostle, the disciple that hung out with Jesus. And that made me realize I didn't know anything about Jesus's crew. I didn't know anything about the 12 guys that he uh, picked, handpicked to hang out with him. And that if I had spent some time maybe actually researching and looking into the people that Jesus chose to have around him, I probably could have learned a lot about Jesus's character because the decisions that we make um, define us. They show something about our character. And if you've ever had teenagers around, you know that your friends have quite a bit of influence on who you are, and it says a lot about you. So let's look at that. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at all the different disciples, the apostles, um, who Jesus picked, um, what they were, how we knew about them, their occupations, um, and what scriptures we have about them. Because I think this is part of the story. This is part of the witness. Because Jesus could have picked anybody, right? He knew what was going down, and he had you know, a lot of power and insight and wisdom. And so I, if I've I was in that position, I would have picked somebody like a king, you know, somebody who's a good leader who already has quite a few followers, or maybe somebody who is independently wealthy. Anybody ever try to start a ministry before with zero cash on hand? Yeah, independently wealthy follower would have been probably really nice. Maybe he could have picked somebody who was super eloquent, like somebody who was really good with words, really good at writing, because he knew that eventually all these stories were going to be written down and you and I would be studying them thousands of years later trying to figure out who Jesus was. So it probably would have been a good idea to have somebody who knew how to write. But that's not what we see. What we see is Jesus picked normal guys. 
um, you know, guys that were ostracized from their society. He had women in his crew. Uh-oh, uh-oh. And in the ancient days, that was absolutely unheard of. He empowered women um, that were able to follow him, be his witnesses. Um, two of his biggest witness moments were at the woman at the well. Um, and when he presented himself as alive after being killed and crucified on the cross. Both of those people, the first witness to those events, when he says he's the Messiah, and then when he proves it by being alive after being crucified, he came and witnessed to women. They were his witnesses. Ancient Israel culture wouldn't even allow women to be witnesses at all. This is a huge deal. And we see something about Jesus's character when he makes those decisions. So just for the sake of like continuity and you understand, um, there are two different words here. There's apostle and there's disciple. So most commonly, I think um, when we're referring to the 12 guys that are in Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, the guys that hung out with Jesus, most people say apostle. So apostle means a messenger, uh, means somebody who brings a message, literally. Um, and there's like two different places. Like in Hebrews 3.1, Jesus is called an apostle in the most reverent sense of the word. But in John, it's also used as like literally a messenger, somebody who took, you know, a message from here to there. So we have this like word about apostle that seems... I don't know, almost like holier than thou. And it puts the apostles above us. And it says, oh, they're, they're somehow holier because they were able to hang out with Jesus. That, you know, they are above us and we are beneath them. And I think the fallacy in that is that we can't then see them as normal people. And also we can get close to making them idols also. Jesus is the only one who is going to bring you salvation. And while the apostles were pretty cool and they did a lot of really helpful things, um, there are people today who are also really cool and doing really helpful things. Um, and so I think when we sometimes use the word apostle, there's like a little bit of separation. And so just out of a habit, um, I, I say disciple. Um, they're also referred to as disciples. So disciple in Greek <laughs> means is mathetes. Um, the only reason I know that um, very particularly is because it's one of my tattoos, <laughs> because I always want to be a disciple. I always want to be learning. It's a word that's still used today in modern Greek. If you go to university or, or to school, you are a mathetes. Um, and so it is just someone who learns a student. So, for example, Andrew was a mathetes, a disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, so those words, I think, can be used interchangeably without, you know, like treading on blasphemous grounds. Um, but just so you are aware, listener out there, and not get confused, I say disciple pretty generally across the board out of habit. So just take note of that. And I also want to let you know about a little free resource. Um, I, anytime I say a biblical definition, which I say a lot because I look up a lot of words, I use a resource called the Blue Letter Bible. This is a free app. You can also use it on your computer, Mac, PC, whatever. And it's completely free. It's out there for you to use. There is so much that you can use on this app. And I will tell you, I use probably 10% of what's available. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm smart enough to use all the things that are in the app. But you can look up any scripture. 
and you can click on the word, you can go to something called the interlinear, and you can look up the biblical definition for the word. Um, And sometimes that can be really helpful, because if you're not quite sure what a word means in a scripture, you can actually look up all the places that that particular word in Hebrew or Greek has ever been used, and look at the context on both sides, and then try to find out the meaning a little bit deeper that way. Because really, scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. So if there's ever something that you get confused about, I've, I've heard this from many, many wise people. Let the clear things be clear and let the confusing things uh, stay confusing. And don't think like, don't hang your theology on that. Um, if it is really confusing and unclear, then write down your observations and your questions and just let it go. Uh, <laughs> don't hang your theology on things that, you know, are probably really weird and outdated and maybe aren't actually for you right now. Because remember, this book isn't actually about you. (laughs) It's about God and his character. And he has lots of things for lots of different people in lots of different times. This book has been around for a very long time. So when we look at the disciples in the coming weeks, hopefully you'll be able to see that God chose regular people and that will help affirm to you as a regular person that Jesus chose you also. We're going to ask some questions every single week about the different disciples, their life, and what you see about yourself in them. And hopefully that'll help you to see Jesus a little bit more rightly. Okay, as we come to the end of the very first episode of Footnotes and Witness, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do to end my podcast. And I think I finally hit upon something that is meaningful to me, and hopefully it'll be meaningful to you. This is a scripture from the book of Hebrews, from the very end, chapter 13. This is verses 20 through 21. This is something that's been motivational for me. It's been convicting at times, and it's also been really encouraging. It helps sum everything up and remind me of the things that sometimes I forget. So I hope that it is a blessing to you as well. This is Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.